With the year of faith upon us, Pope Benedict XVI is stepping up his call for Catholics to engage in the work of the new evangelization. But what exactly does he mean by that, and what does the new evangelization work entail? Join us as we examine the nature of the new evangelization with today's special guest, Dr. Ralph Martin. He's the director of the graduate program in the New Evangelization at Sacred Heart Major Seminary and the consultor to the Pontifical Council for the New Evangelization. I'm Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Franciscan University presents. I'm Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and today we'll be discussing the new evangelization. I'm joined here in our studios with our regular panelists, Dr. Regis Martin, Professor of Systematic Theology here at Franciscan University, Dr. Scott Hahn, Professor of Bibli or Biblical Theology here at Franciscan University, and today our special guest is Dr. Ralph Martin. Ralph is the president and founder of Renewal Ministries. He's the author of numerous books. Uh, you are a uh, professor and a, uh, the director of the graduate program on the new evangelization at the Sacred Heart Seminary. Uh, you have uh, a sacred uh, theology doctorate from the Pontifical uh, University of St. Thomas, the Angelicum in Rome. And uh, Ralph, you're a former board member for Franciscan University. You're a visiting professor. You've been speaking at our summer conferences here at Franciscan University for 30 years. Uh, you've sent your children to Franciscan, so it, it's, it's wonderful true. to have it's you true. here. Guilty as charged. He's everything but canonized. <laughs> <laughs> at least in our measure. And in, in December 2011, Pope Benedict uh, XVI uh, appointed you as a consultor. Uh, to the Pontifical Council on the New Evangelization. So welcome, welcome to the program. It was always great to be back at Franciscan University. As you know, I really love the university, love the mission of the university, and great to be here with my fellow esteemed professors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Well, we're going to be talking about the New Evangelization. Pope John Paul, uh, Pope Benedict has continued this call. But first, if you could just help us out. Start with what is evangelization and, and how does that you know, how was the definition from the church's standpoint on evangelization? Well, evangelization is the primary mission that the Lord Jesus gave to the church. He said, you know, I'm going, but I'm going to still be with you. I'm going to be going, and I'm with you at the same time. I want you to go now and carry on the mission and announce to the whole world uh, that salvation is possible, that forgiveness of sin is possible, that hope is here, that, that eternal life is being offered, that God's love is ready to break into anybody's life who believes and repents and is baptized. So yeah. it's the fundamental mission of the church. So it is really at the core of who we are, it, as the, what the church does. It, it is. And, and just one quote. I know I shouldn't read too much, <laughs> but this is, this is how Pope John Paul II defined it uh, in Redemptoris Missio, his encyclical. He says, the proclamation of the word of God has Christian conversion as its aim a complete and sincere adherence to Christ and his gospel through faith. And then he defines what he means by conversion. Conversion means accepting by a personal decision the saving sovereignty of Christ and becoming his disciple. Mm -hmm. 
Now that sounds a little bit like Billy Graham, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, John Paul II said we need to make a decision for Christ and become his disciple. There's a very broad understanding of evangelization that includes like everything the church does, right. but there's like a core definition that says what it's really about is conversion. What yeah. is, what is you know, I, I suspect that, that Pope uh, John Paul II and Billy Graham are soulmates <laughs> yeah. right in, in paradise. That's true. They're probably kind of cheering on right. the church together yeah. now. And, yeah. and if St. Paul is right, faith comes from what is heard, then that presupposes there's somebody to speak the word, to yeah. proclaim it, to announce it. Yeah. Without that, there's no faith. Yeah. yeah. Is that definition that we, you just quoted from John Paul II, has that always been the understanding of the church? Has it always yeah. had that as its uh, yeah, it, understanding? It, it, yeah, it always has had that as its understanding, but things have gotten a little cloudy and confused in recent days, you yeah. know, yeah. where like, well, maybe we don't really need to preach the gospel because maybe everybody's saved <clears throat> already or, mm, yeah. or maybe everybody's already an anonymous Christian. So, you know, if it becomes explicit, maybe that would be nice, but it's really not important. So evangelization has been weakened by kind of theological theories that have really undermined the urgency and truth of, of preaching the gospel. Yeah. I think also because of the, the rapid and uh, deep decline of Catholic culture, Christian civilization, mm -hmm. the de-Christianization, secularizing, whatever you want to call it. I mean, 60, 70, 80 years ago, the need was different because you had a Catholic school system. You had Catholic colleges and universities. You had seminaries. It was sort of like firing on all eight cylinders or whatever, and, and now we see the, the, the change, the secularization, and so re-evangelizing those who are baptized you know, is a part of the church's task here. Yeah. But it doesn't change the definition that you gave because the fact is conversion is not just something for outsiders, it's also for insiders. Yeah. It's ongoing and ever deepening yeah. Yeah. and it never ceases. You know, an, another distraction uh, apart from the fact uh, that many people many people think, well, I'm already saved, so why do I need to be preached to, mm -hmm. uh, is the distraction about, about uh, saving the world. I mean, that, that oftentimes co-ops the gospel. We have more immediate pressing needs, mm -hmm. uh, ridding the world of illiteracy, poverty, mm -hmm. war, mm -hmm. racism, mm -hmm. homophobia. We don't have time for the gospel. So, I mean, that has been very mischievous, and that too, I think, has to be disposed of. Yeah, well, over, over the years, there's been a tendency to uh, collapse the gospel into serving here and now needs of the world. Like, for a while, it was liberation theology, and, you know, Catholics would say sometimes, well, we can't really preach the gospel until we feed people or until right. the social structures are changed. And, of course, while Catholic missionaries were saying that, Evangelical and Pentecostal missionaries right. were saying Jesus is the is the source yeah. of yeah, all new stealing life. the march. Yeah, right. yeah, and yeah, they yeah, had yeah. the simple saving yeah. message. Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, while the progressive Catholics were opting for the poor, the poor were opting for the evangelicals. <laughs> yeah, is how you put it in <laughs> yeah, one of your yeah, publications. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, so the fundamental need that every human being has yeah. is to be reconciled to God. Yeah. The fundamental need that every human being has is to have their sins forgiven, to be accepted by the Father, to have a friendship with Jesus Christ, to be right. filled with the Holy yeah. Spirit. Out of that, everything else can happen. Out of that, right. you can get delivered from alcoholism. You can become faithful in marriage. You can yeah. become a, a faithful worker and you know, yeah. hold yeah. a good job and things like that. I was yeah. reading Pope Benedict recently. He was describing how we need to remind ourselves through the proclamation of the gospel that we'll never cease to be nomads and pilgrims on earth and that, that we are awaiting something that is glorious in heaven. Right. But at the same time, we, we recognize that people around us don't like to hear that yeah. because yeah. they want to make heaven on earth. Yeah. And he pointed out that they often end up making hell on earth because they're trying to make earth something that it can never be. <laughs> right. yeah. 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 You know, the Pope also makes the point that we need to have a dialogue 
with people who find religion uh, foreign, remote, alien, alienating, uh, and think of God as unknown, inaccessible, and yet they still hunger for him. They don't want to be alone. Yeah. Uh, and, and so they need uh, to have Jesus Christ yeah. come to them. Yeah. And how else can he reach them if we aren't his spokesman? And ultimately, the ultimate sadness is not to live forever in happiness and fulfillment. The ultimate sadness is to die and who knows what happens. The ultimate sadness is to be, is to be alone and to die. Right. And the only solution for being alone and dying is the resurrection of Jesus Christ right. and right. eternal life that he offers us. And to die in Christ is to die with our life a tremendous success, to die apart from Christ, unforgiven, is, is hell. And, to, and too many people today think that they don't need that message and therefore they don't evangelize or they think their friends are, are fine, there's a respect and there's a tolerance and there's a, you know, everyone's okay and you find your own path. Mm -hmm. But if we are truly only fulfilled with Christ, evangelization has a new urgency. If every man's uh, complete fulfillment is only through Jesus Christ. Yeah. And like Scott said, we're facing a new situation now where we used to think that evangelization was directed towards, you know, undiscovered tribes in Africa or Asia right. or that type of thing. But now uh, John Paul II, Paul VI before him, and now Benedict XVI are saying, we actually not only have a mission to preach the gospel to people who have never heard it before, but now we have lots and lots of people who have been baptized as Catholics who have been captured by the secular right. mindset yeah. and aren't living as disciples of right. Jesus Christ. So this is what the new evangelization yeah. means, right. yeah. uh, directed towards those who are already baptized but aren't living as disciples right. in, of Christ. In, in a sense, they still haven't heard the good news. That's because right. That's they true. don't think it liberating. Yeah. I mean, this companionship that Christ provides. I mean, he literally shepherds us through life and through uh, the door of death. That's not going to be convicting unless Christians themselves experience yeah. that. Then they have yeah. something That's it to right infect there. others with. This is where I think historical perspective illuminates things because why do we need to re-evangelize the de-Christianized? Well, because following Vatican II, and for 101 reasons we don't want to get into, there was a collapse of the infrastructure, yeah. the formation, the education, and all of that. But Cardinal Dallas made an interesting observation in one of his many publications on the new evangelization. When you compare Vatican I in 1870 with Vatican II in the 1960s, the term evangelize only occurs in terms of the evangelists, where they're quoting right. the four evangelists. Right. Whereas well over 100 occurrences of evangelize, evangelizing, evangelization in the documents of Vatican II because the Holy Spirit kind of woke us up to the fact that things had really tr had, had changed dramatically. And so even though evangelization has always been at the center of the church's identity and mission, there, there was a need to kind of recognize and redefine that with greater clarity and urgency yeah, yeah. in the last 50 years. And a lot of people thought, well, John Paul, that was his thing. Why is Benedict doing it? Well, because, you know, when John Paul launched it, at his side was Ratzinger, and the good cardinal must have known, as Pope John Paul explained, that the 90s were not going to exhaust the new evangelization. They were the Advent season, as he put it, of the new evangelization. Right. Right. So, you know, as Advent is to the liturgical year, so the 90s would be ushering us into a new millennium. Yeah. So this was a long-term strategy from the outset. Yeah, well, I think people are really surprised that 
they thought, well, what's going to happen now? John Paul II was so strong with right. new evangelization. Pope Benedict actually has institutionalized it right. as an yeah. ongoing focus of the church where he established the new pontifical council for the new evangelization. Yeah. And now next month, the World Synod of Bishops is going to be focused on new evangelization. So Benedict has even kind of focused things in a more stable, ongoing way. Oh, yeah. uh, he sort of like institutionalized what, what John Paul II really proclaimed. What, what I also like is that the evangelical publishing house is going to publish your book on yeah. evangelization. Oh, oh, you yeah. know, yeah. Erdman's yeah. is coming out with that. And it's just like remarkable because so many Protestants are, you know, sort of bewildered to think Catholics evangelize, right. yeah. you know, yeah. evangelical Catholic is like it's, a married it's, it's bachelor, a, it's an oxymoron, it yeah, can't be. Yeah. You it, know? It's a startling it uh, convergence, but I, I think we, we all uh, are enriched by it, mm -hmm. that this amazing uh, coming together of mm. people who love Jesus. Yeah. I mean, that, that seems pretty compelling. Yeah. And that's exciting to see that we need this. We have those who are not baptized who need the, the gospel. We have those who are in the church and practicing who need the ongoing conversion. Mm -hmm. And we really have those who are not practicing, who are baptized, who really need a, a re-evangelization in, in a deeper and more profound and, way. And Ralph, you're a player in this, right? I mean, hey, we all yet, are. Yet, yeah, that's yet, <laughs> we're playing it, hey, we're playing right now. Right. I mean, it's yet another feather in your cap. Maybe you could tell us about that, this, this amazing appointment yeah. uh, that you received. What does that mean? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not sure what it means, but I, 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 th I think it means that the, the Pope wants to call on people who have had experience in evangelization around the world or have thought about it academically or practice it. And so I, I think that's, that's why I got, yeah. got appointed to the Pontifical yeah. Council. And it's a little unclear right now what, what, what exactly what you, it means. When I asked them do? what it means, they said, well, we're going to consult you. You're a consultant. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When? Great. Why? Yeah. You'll also be teaching a course uh, yeah. next month, too, uh, yeah. in Rome at the Angelicum. Yeah. And it's exciting because, I mean, another dear friend, Curtis Martin, no relation to Ralph Martin, but he was also appointed to be a consultant, too. And so... You know, he's a graduate of our program. It's just exciting to see yeah, that it from a distance yeah, we can yeah, have a role. The, the, yeah. the two Americans that were appointed being yourself and Curtis Martin, yeah. having a great connection with so many great apostolates, yeah. with the university, with, the university, with so many university, things, yeah. And, yeah. and not necessarily related to Regis Martin. Right. So there's, yeah. there's, there's some great <laughs> things that God has here. spared yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the Angelicum has invited me to teach a two-week course on evangelization next month. I and I know you're I was a distinguished right, alumnus right. of the Angelicum. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. Well, maybe Maybe we could continue this conversation um, as we look at the new evangelization. What really is new uh, about the new evangelization and what is the role of the laity? Uh, you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Dr. Hahn's class on the new evangelization, we looked from a sociological perspective at why people convert. And one of the things we talked about was that people convert because they see the intensity of the lives of people in a particular religion, and that's inherently attractive to them. And what that meant for me in terms of evangelization was that I need to be living out my faith with just a great intensity. Peter tells us to always be prepared to give a reason to those who ask why we have hope. And before anyone's gonna ask me for a reason, they need to be able to see that I'm living a life that's transformed by that hope. And that's the main call of the evangelist, is to live a transformed life. And I find a sort of freedom in that, that I don't have to be the best prepared, the best educated, the most ready evangelist. I just have to be living a life that's totally transformed 
by Christ. My name is Michael Villanueva. I'm majoring in philosophy and theology. Last semester, I had sacraments with Dr. Hahn. And uh, I'll tell you right now, it was the best class of my entire life. A every class, I'm just knocked out of my chair. It hits me like a ton of bricks. The beauty of the truth that he's speaking to us. Something so simple, God's but so beautiful and so profound and so powerful. Franciscan University is academically excellent and passionately Catholic. Today we're discussing the new evangelization with professor, evangelist, and pontifical consultor, uh, Ralph Martin. Uh, Ralph, we, we, we ended the last session starting with the conversation on the new evangelization. Yeah. Uh, but, but what really is new about the evangelization, uh, new evangelization there? Well, one thing that could help is that in, in John Paul II's encyclical, section 33, Redemptoris Missio, he, he makes the clear distinction. He says, there's three dimensions here we're talking about. There's primary evangelization to people who have never heard it before, who haven't been baptized. There's pastoral care for those who are living in some way as disciples of Christ. And then there's new evangelization directed towards people who we didn't used to think we needed to evangelize, who have been baptized but have drifted away from the faith or don't understand what it really means to live as a, as a disciple. So what's new about the new evangelization primarily is who it's directed to. It's directed to us and right. people all around us. Sitting and, in the pews. Right. Yeah, you know. or not, not even sitting in the pews. I mean, you know, 80% of the people aren't sitting in the That's pews right. anymore. Right. So we right. need to go out to the highways and the byways. Like one of, one of the really striking things is when, you know, there's a lot of parish closings going on in the Midwest and East Coast and, you know, upper Midwest. And, and when they close a parish, a lot of people stop going to church. Yes. Mm -hmm. They check out. You know, and so there's people scattered over the hillsides and hills and valleys who, were even going to church until recently, right. but no. didn't have a deep enough understanding about like, the church and, right. and who Christ is, and we yeah. have to go out to them. As if one's loyalty them. to the church and Christ uh, was about a building, yeah. Yeah. and not yeah. finally the mystical body. Yeah, yeah. And the yeah. so yeah. There, you know, we all know there's been tremendous gaps in catechetics right. you know, yeah. you know, over the years, right. and, yeah. and we've also tended to assume that everybody knows what the gospel is and everybody's made a commitment to Christ. Of course, we can't assume that anymore. You know, right, we, right, we, right. We, we've assumed the foundations are in place, but in lots of places, the, the foundations aren't in place. We've been trying to add stuff on top that isn't sinking in because the relationship with Jesus as, as, as the divine teacher isn't, isn't there. Yeah. Right. Well, and if you look at the United <clears throat> States, uh, the largest faith in our country is Catholics. And, and the second largest is non-practicing yeah. Catholics. You know, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a clear issue yeah. we have here right. where people, whether it be in, in, right. in closings or in the scandals or whatever it might be, they attach to an individual or to a, in a building, a physical building, as opposed to the person of Christ. Right. And, and even more powerful, as Scott said earlier in the program, the, the, the spirit of the world is so strong. The, yeah. the, the anti-Christian culture we're living in is gaining in power. Uh, the universities are in the hands of the enemy, if I may right, say that, right. you know, uh, the, the higher education is actually lower wisdom. It isn't wisdom from above, it's wisdom right. from below, it's right. the wisdom of the world, it's yeah, the spirit know. of the age. And so our Catholics, even sometimes when they're sitting in church, 
are there with the mind of the world and the spirit of the age rather than the mind of Christ and the spirit of God. So we have a tremendous job of re-evangelizing. And that's a synonym the Pope uses for new for evangelization. Right. He says right. new evangelization or re-evangelization. So is it, is it simply, you know, because we, we've always had evangelization in the church, but mm -hmm. it's, it's new in, in what specific ways? Because we, we have more struggles today. We have more uh, kind of the modern world, the postmodern world, all of that. Yeah. Is, it, is it simply a coming to a, a kind of a new uh, fighting new forces and, and taking well them. well really the first thing that he says that's new about it is who is directed to but he yeah. says we also need a new energy yes. we need yeah. we need a new ways of expression open to the creativity of the Holy Spirit we just can't use the same old methods unless they're still working right. but we have to be open to creativity we have to be open to the Holy Spirit he even says we really need a, a new Pentecost in order mm. to have new evangelization, which gets to what Regis was saying. Unless people themselves have encountered the risen Lord, unless people yeah. themselves know the treasure that we've been given in Christ, unless people know the beloved Son has been entrusted to us and, and, and the gratitude that comes from that, we can't even properly celebrate the Eucharist. The Eucharist is Thanksgiving. Lots of people don't know what we're, what we're thankful about. Right. Yeah. right. Yeah. Well, that was the point that Avery Dulles made, and I think you uh, uh, adverted to that, Scott, and it was made more than 20 years ago uh, at, at Fordham, uh, a lecture uh, he gave. He's making the point, which is deeply melancholy, that increasingly Catholics themselves have never had an experience of Christ. Yeah. They've never encountered Christ. Yeah, right. I mean, Eliot speaks of having the experience but missing the meaning. Well, they didn't even have the experience. Yeah. I mean, you, you would have to say they've been baptized, yeah. but it didn't take. Yeah. Something happened. Something yeah. missing. It took or, flight. Yeah. Well, St. Thomas Aquinas has some tremendous wisdom in the third part of the Summa mm -hmm. about how you can have a valid baptism, but the fruits of it be blocked yeah. because of lack of faith or lack of repentance or overlooking the exorcisms or not, yeah. you know, I mean, I mean, so right in our theological tradition, there's tremendous wisdom about why sometimes people can receive a valid sacrament, yeah. but not show much change in their life because there hasn't been the, the preparation, the leading people to hunger and desire the Lord, understand what they're receiving and desire it and, and turn away from sin. You know, like Thomas says, if a person is not willing to repent of sin, he can't be baptized because it's a contradiction of the sacrament. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and if you look at the, the, the new evangelization, then it, it's, it's going to a new group of people. It's having a new expression, a new passion, a new methods. Yeah. And, and, but the message hasn't changed, right? We're, we're drawing yeah. from the, the, the ancient and timeless wisdoms and, and, the, and the truth. Yeah. The truth. Well, hey, you know. Jesus Christ is the same, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah. And He's forever new, and He's forever rich, and we never exhaust His riches, we never exhaust His treasures, and we never exhaust His wisdom for the age we're living in and the challenges we're facing. He says He hasn't left us orphans, and He hasn't. Yeah. You know, the, um, the interesting thing about this is that the new evangelization is still for many people a cliche. Mm. It's jargon. Yeah. And, and I think <coughs> what you're doing... It's the flavor of the hour. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and we don't know our history, and so we don't know the uniqueness of our own period in, in history. Uh, you know, we, we've, we've referred to Vatican II and Pope Paul VI and John Paul II, but already in the 50s, there was this movement in Europe known as the Charismatic Movement. Mm -hmm. And it was largely involved in catechizing Catholics, but it was based upon the recognition that we need to recover the charisma, mm -hmm. that is, the gospel as it was proclaimed mm -hmm. from the very beginning. And then, you know, when Vatican II met, a lot of those council fathers, those bishops, were very appreciative of what had been going on in the previous decade. 
But Pope Paul VI himself took this to the next level because in choosing his name, Paul, he identified his purpose to be a missionary pope. Mm. He ended up traveling more than all of his predecessors put together. Yeah. And then he was subsequently eclipsed <laughs> by his successor, <laughs> right. who traveled far more than he did. But you know, he was the one who in the mid-70s called for this synod to focus on evangelization, and then came out with that great document, Evangelii Nunciandi, which is on evangelization in the modern world, and passed the baton on, of course, to John Paul, who took it to the next level in Redemptoris Missio. But the idea of new evangelization actually isn't used as a phrase until 79, when John Paul went back to his homeland in Poland. But then he, he used it in talking to his own people about the need to be reawakened after communism. But it didn't come out until 83 mm -hmm. at Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Mm -hmm. And that's where he identified 1992 as the 500th anniversary of the founding of the Americas and the first evangelizing the Americas. Amazing? 500 years earlier, you know, there weren't any Catholics here. 500 years later, the three most populous Catholic countries are Brazil, Mexico, and the U.S. So, I mean, timing is everything. Yeah. But we really have to recognize the signs of the times to have a sense of our own identity and mission. And I think that's why the new evangelization has to be raised above jargon you know, and, and cliche to recognize this is really not just a human initiative, this is prophetic, this is a divine undertaking. And, and when we look at this, what is the role of the laity? What is the role that we have in this? Is this simply exclusive for the clergy, for the bishops? I was, I was just actually thinking about that when Scott was talking about it, I say, I hope we get to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. because it really isn't just a matter for priests or nuns or bishops, it's not just for theologians. Because one of the hidden treasures of the Second Vatican Council is the decree on the apostle of lay people. You know how that begins? It says lay people don't need to wait for a priest or bishop to ask them to do something because they've already been asked by Jesus. Yeah, they yeah, say, yeah. when did that happen? Yes. Well, guess what? It happened when you were baptized. Jesus asked you to be completely one with him in his love of the Father and his love of human beings and to participate with him in his mission. He's continuing to seek and to save those who are lost and he wants to do that through us. Yeah. So right after the Second Vatican Council, there's a lot of focus on lay people kind of becoming lectors and Eucharistic right. ministers right. and getting power Clericalizing in Clericalizing the them. Yeah, And then there was a reaction to that saying, no, 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 lay people are supposed to be leaven in the world and salt and light and transform the culture. Now, most lay people don't have a clue what it means to transform the culture. Right. What the heck does that that's mean? Right. You know? that's right. But that's what we're always saying lay people are supposed to do. Transform but the decree in the lay apostate lays out very specifically what the mission is. There's four dimensions of the mission. Can I quickly run through that? Please. Yeah. Okay. First one is the witness of our life. And, and Catholics know about being a good example, living the Christian life. Second dimension is works of mercy and charity, helping people who need help. Third dimension is renewing the temporal order. And this is probably, you know, the... the right transforming culture one, right, right. where we're trying to make life better for people on this earth. We're concerned about the environment, we're concerned about health care, we're concerned about pro-life, we're concerned about elections and things like that. But then the fourth dimension, the council says, if you don't have the fourth dimension, you don't really have evangelization. It says the true lay apostle is concerned not just with these three dimensions that we've just spoken about in section 6 and 13. It says, but the true apostle is also concerned about speaking about Christ in words as well as the witness of their life because 
many people will never have a chance to hear the gospel except through the lay people they're, they're in contact with. And the purpose is to bring them to faith, people who don't have faith, and people who do have faith to bring them to a deeper commitment to Christ. So this is That's overlooked. Powerful. This is really this overlooked. Is another, is this is another essential component of the new evangelization and what is so new about the new evangelization. Yeah, yeah. That the lay people who were always baptized and therefore commissioned and sent, now the urgency, now the, the, the frank recognition that this may, be, this may be an area where we were derelict in our duty. Right. You know, but the idea that the clergy ought to do it misses another key point, and that is practically, well not, every single clergyman is a former layperson. You know? <laughs> and so, you know, just like every apostle that was yeah. sent out was first a disciple. We all have to be called by Jesus and hear that call and respond. Then we have to recognize that that response is a conversion, yeah. a turning away from sin, a turning to Jesus. And then in the process of being discipled, we learn from him, but we also discover that he's changed our lives to make us instruments by which he wants to change other people's lives. So to be a disciple but not an apostle is to be a disobedient disciple. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah you betray the mission. Indeed. You know, war is too serious a business to be left to the generals. That's right, that's right. And faith, mission, it's yeah. too serious, yeah. too urgent to be left to the pastors and the bishops. Yeah, I mean, well just look what the situation is, I mean with the, with the clergy shortage or whatever, I mean, I mean priests are overwhelmed these days, I mean a lot of them are taking care of two or three parishes, a lot of them are becoming pastors two years after getting ordained, I mean yeah. they're barely keeping the ship afloat, I mean they're trying to figure out how to keep their schools going, everything like that. So. All, those all the people who are coming to church is one thing, and they're, they're, they're ministering to them, but most Catholics aren't coming to church That's anymore. Right. And, and, and they're people in our families. They're our children. They're our mothers and fathers. They're our brothers and sisters. They're our neighbors. They're our co-workers. And unless we're there with a, with a heart desiring their salvation, desiring them to come to know the Lord, desiring them to receive forgiveness and mercy, uh, who's going to do it? That's right. Right. And, and you know, there, there's a sense of urgency about moving on this with some dispatch, some alacrity. <laughs> yeah. uh, Mark Twain makes the point that nobody is saved after the first 10 minutes of a sermon. So you have to, you have to, you know, produce a, a certain inspiring message very quickly, an intensity of attention. And one of the ways to do that is if you are already galvanized yeah, by the good yeah. news. Then you can be a contagion for others. You have to have this experience of, of Christ. Without it, it doesn't matter how, how learned you are or how much time you spend. Nobody's going to be impressed. Nobody's going to be moved mm -hmm. by your example. Mm -hmm. The witness of your life is right. going to be the most eloquent yeah. argument mm -hmm. you've got. And you never really learn something until you have to turn around and teach it. Mm -hmm. Yes. I've heard that's that from right. countless yeah. people yeah. who are former students, and I, it was yeah. my experience too, that when you go out and share something, you know, it's risky, it's scary, but that's when you really learn it. Also, you could just say, somebody asks you a question, and you say, hey, I don't know, but let me find out for you. Yeah. You go back that's to your right. catechism right. of the Catholic Church, it's all there. Yeah. There's an index. Right. Look it up. You know, you go back and say, hey, by the way, I found out what we really believe about that and why we believe that. You know, it's just, what a great resource, yeah. people. They don't have to be afraid of that. And an act of friendship, too. Yeah. 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 And John Paul II, in, in The Mission of the Redeemer, said, no believer in Christ, no institution of the church can avoid this supreme duty to proclaim Christ to all peoples. I mean, that's... No one's, no one's out of it. I mean, John That's Paul right, II yeah. cut right to the quick. Yeah. Um, let's continue this conversation on the new evangelization by looking at the new Pentecost. You're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us.
new evangelization is meant to be shared with all believers. It's meant not just for you to hear it and hear about it, but to proclaim it yourself, to speak it in the ordinary language, in the ordinary relationships you have in life. Do it at home, do it at business, do it at parties, do it in entertainment events. There's a time, you don't interrupt them or get rude, but there's a time in which it could flow where you are speaking personally of your experience of the gospel and the faith in the church. And you do it in this way that is fitting. It's not preaching or looking down on others, lecturing to them. It's in the normal discourse of life but it brings forth the truths of the faith and it leads people to a deeper life in God and the church. Explore the treasures of your Catholic heritage on a Franciscan University pilgrimage. Led by inspiring spiritual directors, you'll walk in the footsteps of saints and martyrs in the Holy Land, Poland, France, and Italy. And you'll deepen your love for Jesus Christ through daily mass, confession, prayer, and the joy of Christian fellowship. Let Franciscan University lead you on a pilgrimage of faith. Find out more at franciscan.edu slash pilgrimages. I'm glad you joined us for Franciscan University Presents. Uh, this entire program comes from our communication arts studio here at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. Our students are operating the cameras and the equipment. Um, our theology faculty, Regis and Scott, are members of our panel. Uh, and even our, our guest today comes forth from uh, Franciscan University in many ways. Uh, we're discussing the new evangelization. Uh, we want to get into the new Pentecost. Before we get there, maybe you could start with, you know, what are some of the doctrinal concerns, some of the errors that really undermine uh, the mission of the new yeah. evangelization? Well, I think a lot, like, like we were talking, you know, like evangelization is like a hot new topic now. New evangelization, everybody is labeling everything they're doing new evangelization. But Catholic lay people are going to hear about their duty to evangelize and their responsibility. But unless they are convinced that it really is important to do so, not just because we're being told to do so, but because of its intrinsic value, I think there's going to be a, not a big response, you know. Yeah. And if I were to describe how many of our fellow Catholics really look at the world today, I'd describe it like this. Broad and wide is the way that leads to heaven, and almost everybody is going that way. Yeah. Very narrow is the road that leads to hell, and hardly anybody's going that way. Maybe Hitler, you know? Yeah, yeah. So if you think that everybody's probably saved, well, you know, why, why bother? You Everyone's know, a good person. Yeah, everybody's, if, if everybody's going to end up at the same destination, if all roads lead to heaven and all religions are equal, and even people who haven't heard the gospel have the possibility of being saved, which is true, they've heard that. Yeah. But they haven't really heard what the Catholic Church specifically teaches on this. And I'd just like to take a minute to say that. You know, everybody says, well, you know, hey, what, this, this Broadway, Narrowway stuff, I mean, haven't you heard that Vatican II has changed all that? <laughs> well, no, I haven't, yeah, you know. Yeah. Vatican II does clearly teach that it's possible to be saved without hearing the gospel. In the Constitution of the Church, section 16, it says, those who through no fault of their own haven't heard the gospel, those who are sincerely striving to know God, and those who are living according to the light of their conscience, assisted by grace, 
because the Catholic Church firmly teaches that nobody can be saved without grace, yes. without faith. Yes. And so it's possible to come to some kind of faith and some kind of response to God's light, even without hearing the gospel that connects people salvifically. But people hear that and they say, well, I guess everybody's okay. Yes, they right. jump from possibility to probability to presumption. Right. Yeah, but they, they ignore the last three sentences, and even very famous theologians ignore the last three sentences of this council document, and it says, but, even though this is theoretically possible, it says, but, very often, and I've checked the Latin on this, and I've checked other contemporary language translations, and that's a good translation, but very often, deceived by the evil one, Human beings exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship the creature rather than the creator. Therefore, for the sake of their salvation. So what we're really talking about is people's salvation is at stake. Very often. Yeah. Very often, right. you know, that even though it's possible for people to say yes to the light of God in the midst of this corrupt culture, it's not very likely oftentimes, and very often they, they choose the darkness rather than the light. Very often they're indifferent to God. Very often they're culpable for not hearing the gospel. That's the first sentence. Go on. Yeah. What, 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 what's the next? Yeah, it says, and very, very often deceived by the evil one, human beings exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship the creature. Uh, therefore, for their salvation, the church earnestly carries out its mission of evangelization. So if we don't really think that anything ultimate is at stake, why right. make an ultimate effort? Right. Right. The reason why people went to, to Ghana as missionaries with their possessions in their coffins is they knew that eternal salvation was at stake. Right. For 2,000 years, the reason why people left home and family to, to, be, to evangelize is they believe eternal salvation was at stake, and the church still does. Yeah. Yeah. And that's an urgent right. message. Yeah. That, that, that is why we are compelled. Yeah. And, that's and, and it's not an exercise in ecclesial imperialism, yeah. but a function of love. It's you mercy. want to give yeah. people whom you love yeah. the very best Abs that you have, and that's Christ. Yeah. That's salvation. And, and this is what I did my doctoral dissertation on because I felt like this was such an important issue. And if, if I may say so, the, the, the book is being published this month. That's right. That's and, right. and the title is, Will Many Be Saved? What Vatican II Actually Teaches and its implication for the new evangelization. Because I think that unless there's clarity right. on this issue, Right. The calls to new evangelization are going to fall on deaf ears. Because it's all the motivation. It's where we're coming from. It's, so part, it's part of the motivation. The truth is really important, but like you said, the spirit is also really important. Now, I think everybody probably got the sense that, you know, at the beginning when you said, wide is the way many are, uh, find it, that, that this is really a subversion of what Jesus actually says, you know. He's right. talking about the broad way that many find yeah. that goes to destruction. Thanks for clarifying that, <laughs> yeah. Scott. I forgot, I forgot to quote what Jesus actually said. <laughs> yeah, 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 What's yeah. wrong with this picture? Right, yeah, it's yeah, exactly, yeah. it's like a Thank photographic you. negative. It's yeah, the yeah, opposite yeah, yeah, of what, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Jesus is saying that the way is difficult and, 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 the, and few they are that find it. You and don't drift into the kingdom by going along with the culture. Right. You, right. you go through the... The only thing that float along are dead right. fish. Right. And that is inappropriate <laughs> rhetoric if, it, if, if, if Jesus is speaking you know, in a way that's hyperbolic. Yeah. Uh, he's not. He's saying the truth, and it's a, yeah. it's an, it's a, it's an alarm clock. It's a wake-up yeah. call. It's like, whoa, we dare not think that because it's possible, therefore it's probable, and therefore we can presume. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's deadly. That's a yeah. dangerous presumption. It would be like going into a country that's afflicted with some kind of pestilence with the cure, but recognizing that a few people, well, since a few people might overcome it on their own, you know, what's the cure for? Yeah. I mean. 
we have to share this yeah. as an act of love yeah, and to withhold it, I think. Yeah. And again, this gets to what Cardinal Dulles was saying, that only when people actually turn around and begin to share the good news do they allow themselves to focus on the greatness of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. yeah. Otherwise, our Catholicism is an ism. Yeah. It's, a, it's a cultural legacy. It's an inheritance Another. from our parents and grandparents. Yeah. But when we lay hold of it and share it, then all of a sudden, it's like, this is for them as well as for me. Right. This is glorious. And yeah. I, I, I want us to go deeper into to all of this in some ways, but we're limited in time. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, but what, what, when we look at, at the new evangelization, uh, many people are, are, are afraid. There's a lot that holds them back. So there really probably is a need for a new Pentecost. Yeah. You've talked about it. The popes have talked about yeah. it. What, what does that really mean? What is the yeah. new Pentecost? Well, look, look, at, look at what the apostles had in their formation. They were in the best Bible study anybody ever was in for three years. Right. <laughs> Jesus periodically said, let me explain it to you again, <laughs> you know, what, what this all means. They had the best spiritual direction. They had the best pastoral supervision and formation. They, they just had the best of everything. And even after the resurrection, even on the very day when Jesus is ascending to his Father, they say, Lord, are you going to kick out the Romans now? <laughs> you know, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now? So, so you can have the best correct knowledge of everything. You can yeah. be completely orthodox. You can believe the right things. But unless you have that explosion in your heart of an illumination of God that's given directly to the soul, the contemplative and the charismatic working of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't ignite in a way that like, like ignites the passion, you know? So what, what, did, what did Jesus tell them to do? First of all, he taught them about the importance of the Holy Spirit. He said, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and that refers back to John the Baptist and that his own teaching in John's Gospel, his own teaching in Luke's Gospel. He taught them about the importance of the Holy Spirit. He commanded them not to try to carry out the mission without the Holy Spirit. He told them to remain in the city. They obeyed, they believed, mm. they prayed, and God granted, God honored their obedience, God honored their prayer, and the Holy Spirit fell on them. Then what the heck happened? They got excited about Jesus. Yeah. They said, we get it. Paul, it was a boldness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Peter got up and said, this is what it's all about. This is what the whole thing has been leading to. Yeah. This is the one, you know? There's one, one component in what you just cited there in Acts 1, verses 6 through 8, where Jesus says, you must wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then you'll be my witnesses yeah. in Jerusalem, yeah. Judea, Samaria, and yeah. the ends of the earth. And I, I suspect that Peter must have scratched his head and said, wait, we already are the witnesses. I mean, we have witnessed this for the last three years, yeah. the last 40 days. Yeah. What do we need to wait for? Yeah. Why do we need the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit alone is the agent that transforms the experience that is human and natural of Jesus into something utterly supernatural and divine. Then suddenly we realize, as we listen to Peter's sermon in Acts 2, that the resurrection was not just resuscitating a corpse like Lazarus or vindicating his legal innocence, you know. It was the establishment of the kingdom of heaven on earth through the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So Peter's sermon in Acts 2 bears witness to the fact that you cannot bear witness strictly in human and natural terms without the spiritual awakening yeah. that supernaturalizes yeah. your own experience. Yeah. Yep. Now, now most Catholics say, well, wait a second, I have the Holy Spirit. I've been baptized and confirmed. Right. Uh, yeah. But I, I, don't, I don't feel too excited about sharing Jesus. I, I, don't, I don't have a passion. I don't have a fire. What, what's going on? Well, we know that sometimes, you know, most Catholics are baptized and confirmed at a, at a younger age, and sometimes they don't understand what's happening. And 
you know, the Catechism of the Catholic Church says confirmation is a sacrament which perpetuates Pentecost in the church. Mm. But one of the really big elephants in the living room right now in the Catholic Church is many DREs and youth ministers tell me that what normally happens with confirmation in many, many Catholic parishes is that it's like the last thing they check off right. on their list that they right. have to do, and, done. and they stop going they to church. They graduate from church. So, so this is like a contradiction of the sacrament. Right. You know, exactly. The sacrament is supposed to like deepen their commitment for mission and witness. So that's why Pope Benedict said we need to renew our baptism in the Holy Spirit. Mm. We need to renew our experience of the sacraments of Christian initiation. He yeah. used the term baptism of the Spirit, Jesus uses it. And we need to actually pray for a, an awakening or a stirring up of the, of the gift of the Spirit that we've been given in the sacraments right. that maybe has lied dormant because we haven't understood what we've been given, so there needs right. to be more teaching, more catechesis. Maybe we haven't understood that we need to make a personal response to it, so there needs to be evangelization. Maybe there needs to be some removal of obstacles like sin or some exorcism, so there needs to be pastoral care. So there needs to be a lot of repair work. And this is what you know, evangelization right. Pope Benedict refers in the second volume of Jesus of Nazareth to Bernard of Clairvaux, who speaks of the Adventus Medius, the middle coming. Mm -hmm. St. Thomas also speaks of how the Holy Spirit's coming is not just an objective past event that corresponds to the sacrament, but it's an ongoing sequence mm -hmm. of comings that we right. need. That's right. And that right. recognition, I think, is, is absolutely necessary. Right. I mean, the Spirit literally falls into the world, I mean, between uh, ascension and the promised uh, parousia, uh, into that gap, that mm -hmm. hiatus mm -hmm. between now and then, already but not yet, and suffuses the world with his presence of, of truth uh, and, and love, this consolation. Mm -hmm. But people have to appropriate it. They have to take ownership of it. I, I don't want to demean baptism or confirmation yeah. because they really do release the objective means that we have to subjectively lay hold of. But yeah. I mean, if you reach adolescence at the age of puberty, just because you have the hormones now to become a father, doesn't mean that you are morally and spiritually prepared to. Mm -hmm. It's the spirit of love that has to bring forth sacrifice that really equips you to kind of yeah. live subjectively in a way that corresponds you, you with that objective. You need supernatural hormones. That's right, exactly. that's right. right. Well, I, I, when Pope Benedict was here in, uh, in, in the States, he said, as we give thanks for past blessings and look at the challenges of the future, let us implore from God the grace for a new Pentecost for the church in America. May tongues of fire combining burning love of God and neighbor with zeal for the spread of Christ's kingdom descend on all. That's I mean, that's powerful, a powerful yeah. thing. Yeah, well actually all, all you know, from John Paul II, John, John XXIII, when he called the Second Vatican Council, he asked all Catholics to pray for a renewal of Pentecost. Paul VI frequently said what we really need is the, is, is the new Pentecost. John Paul II frequently spoke about Benedict II. The popes are crying out to God. They know that new documents aren't enough. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They, know, they know that God, we need God himself to bestow his spirit on us in a new way for the new challenges we're facing. And we really are, like, like Scott says, we're, we're, we're at the end of Christendom. You know, we're, we're entering a new phase. We're more like the early church was. We're facing a, a, an aggressive international pagan culture. We're increasingly a minority. And we need to rediscover the secret of the early church that enabled them not only to survive but to thrive. And that, that's one of the secrets of that is doctrinal clarity. Another secret of that is the power of the Holy Spirit. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so that's, that's the new Pentecost, and the church is to be calling on it. I mean, the Pope is calling on it. We're yeah, supposed to yeah, be doing it. We're yeah. supposed to be promoting it personally yeah, and corporately. Yeah. I mean, that's exciting. It, it, uh, I wish we could almost continue our conversation here. Um, we'll be uh, coming to our final section here on Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us.
About a year ago, I, I had the privilege of being in Rome for a conference talking about new evangelization. But a phrase came up, I think it was from Father Conlamesa, the preacher of the papal household, who said, uh, we need a new Pentecost for a new evangelization. And people ask, well, what do we mean by that? What does Father Conlamesa mean? I think the idea here is that uh, for evangelization to be effective, it has to come from within. It can't be something that uh, says, well, you, you're supposed to witness to your faith, or it's a good thing, like a, your duty. But the power of witness comes from the heart when we have a deep conviction about our faith that we really want to share with others. The first Pentecost was a time when that happened. The apostles were given the gift of the Spirit, and they were give, given a gift of boldness in sharing their faith. So the idea here is we should pray to the Holy Spirit to give us that boldness, that desire to witness to our faith that flows from within our own hearts. It can be a very simple prayer, simply, come Holy Spirit, help me to witness in, to my faith in Christ, to my Catholic faith, in a way that would touch this person in this situation. And that's the beginning of a new Pentecost that will bear fruit in a new evangelization. My name is Kelly Butler and I'm a communication arts major. I took independent digital filmmaking. Definitely intense. Many all-nighters in the editing lab getting things done. Pope John Paul II has a quote, Do not be afraid to go out into the streets and into public places to preach Christ like the first apostles. That's what we're called to as Catholics and as Christians. You have that responsibility that every work you create should reflect Christ. Franciscan University is academically excellent and passionately Catholic. Come to our final segment here on Franciscan University Presents. We've been discussing the topic of the new evangelization with author and evangelist Ralph Martin. Um, let's take some time now to, to wrap up our discussions. Regis, could you start us off? Yeah, I'm, I'm no end of grateful uh, for this uh, conversation and, and particularly uh, for, for Ralph having come here. What a splendid uh, catalyst you have been for, for this uh, uh, discussion. Uh, Pentecost, we're living in a Pentecostal phase of the church's life, and it follows from that that maybe people should be more convincingly filled with the Spirit. They, they should have evidence that they're on fire, inflamed with, uh, with an ardent love of, of God. I, I think of Nietzsche, of all people, who said, look, if you want me to believe in your Redeemer, then maybe you guys need to look a little more redeemed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and in fact, we don't. Yeah. I mean, if, if the Holy Spirit has, has planted His love in our hearts, then maybe we should be literally on fire uh, for God. Uh, and the stakes are enormous, and, and you, I think, correctly remind us of what happens when people don't live the life of the Spirit. They take themselves to hell. Mm. Uh, you know, Father Zosima in, in Dostoevsky's The Brothers Karamazov asks, what is hell? And he says, it's not being able to love, an inability, a refusal to love. It's as if you're saying to God forever, I don't want to love, I don't want to be loved. I just want to be left alone. Mm. And, you know, Leon Bois says the only sadness is not to be a saint. Mm. It's mm. to be left alone forever. Mm -hmm. And the whole point of life is to await the resurrection of the dead. And if that's true, then we need to be Easter people, resurrection mm. people. Amen, Brother Regis. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Scott? I've heard you quote Dostoevsky and Blah before, but never Nietzsche. That's a first. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, I, I think back to uh, a phrase that we heard back in my evangelical days, get changed, get together, and get going. <laughs> you know, and I, I think that's the call for us Catholics now at this point in history. And I think that we have to find practical models for ordinary witness. The first one, I think, is the family, where John Paul said in Familiaris Consortio that the parents are the principal and original evangelizers of their own children, and there's no replacement for that. And it also takes place with siblings and godparents with their godchildren as well. A second model that strikes me as being important is friendship. I mean, if we're real friends, we see the other person as another self, what Aristotle would put it. And so we want to share with them the things that have changed ourselves. And so, you know, whether it's coffee or at the water cooler or whatever, you know, look for opportunities to share the joy that you're awakening to. The, the third model, I think, is the parish. You know, so often parishes are just places you go to and then leave quickly from. But I think we have to recognize that the parish is an extended family and that this has to be the principal locus for the new evangelization mm -hmm. so that people look at the parish and say they're redeemed. They look redeemed, you know, and they're excited about it. I think of the workplace as well. But here we are on EWTN. I think the fifth model, the final one I would point to, is the media, yeah. especially the new media. When you're looking at TV, radio, but also the internet, opportunities through email to share with other people, blogging or whatever things that you have accessible. Sharing the faith makes the faith come alive more and more for ourselves. And then when we witness what God can do in using us to transform others, we stand back in <coughs> gratitude and amazement. So I don't know anybody who's doing it quite like you, Ralph, and so thank you for all that you're doing now, but also next month in Rome. Yeah. You know, I really feel like this is true for every single Christian, that the Lord has a vocation for us. He's, he's each called us to a unique life, a unique love, a unique suffering, a unique service. And it's such a joy to be with you all who are saying yes to your vocations. And we're all saying yes to our vocations. And if everybody who's with us today would just say yes to their vocation, the first vocation, as Richard said, is to be a saint, you know? Right. Saying yes to the call to holiness and saying yes to the call to participate with Christ in his mission. I see you have a copy of my book there. And in chapter four, I talk about the biblical worldview. And what it, what it really says is that all these saints lived every day under the aspect of eternity. They've lived every day knowing that life is short, that only one thing is necessary, that if we die in friendship with Christ, our life is an amazing success. If we die alone, unrepentant, unbelieving, our life is a tremendous failure, no matter how much worldly success we've had. And this is the message of the gospel. What does a sufferer person to gain the whole world but suffer the loss of his soul? So if we really love our children, if we really love our parents, if we really love our brothers and sisters, if we really love the people we work with, we're not just going to be concerned about the, getting them good health care or getting good jobs or good mates. All those things are great to pray for, but we're going to be primarily concerned that they die in friendship with Christ, mm -hmm. that they come to know him right now because knowing Jesus right now in this life makes for a happiness and a peace in the midst of suffering that nothing else can. But the ultimate destiny is that it really is a heaven, it really is a hell, and how we live and what we believe and what we do is creating for us the eternal destiny. Yes, yes. Well, thank you, Ralph. Thank you for being with us. Um, I, I, this is a great book here, The Fulfillment of All Desire. Um, Ralph, you have been uh, an evangelist, a leader, and, and uh, obviously the, the Pope knew what he was doing in selecting you uh, to join him uh, on the uh, Pontifical Council for the New Evangelization. Um, when I consider the, uh, the new evangelization, it just strikes me as a, as a father, uh, first and foremost. I have a large family. 
and I actually have three teenagers. And uh, uh, yeah, so you can pray for me. Um, You're growing in holiness. That's you? right. Every every minute. <laughs> yeah. But but there was a time there where I didn't realize what language they were even speaking. I was thinking we were from a different planet and and, and coming from two different cosmos. And uh, I feel like that's the new evangelization. There sometimes is, is a very different language that's going on. And it, it took uh, some friends and the Holy Spirit to really kind of humble myself, to get into their world, to understand their music, their books, and, and to be able to speak to them again as, as teenagers. And I think that's what the new evangelization is, finding out whether it's your kids, whether it's your grandkids, uh, whether it's your coworkers, whether it's in your parish, wherever it might be, finding out what they love, what they care about, what draws their heart out, and, and bring and share your love. And you have a love for Christ. Make sure that that is first and foremost in your mind, that you're not sharing some, some, some archaic doctrine, but, but you're sharing the person of Christ, which has a truth that is timeless and that its wisdom is, is priceless. And as, as Ralph shared, uh, our lives uh, are, are being held in the balance. Um, and and C.S. Lewis said that every opportunity you have to meet someone either draws them closer to heaven or closer to hell. And, and that is what we have to realize. There is a sense of urgency with what we're doing. I also think of Our Lady of Guadalupe. When I was down at the shrine there, they talked about her being the patroness uh, of the new evangelization. She came clothed in their culture. She spoke the saving truth. She brought uh, Christ to them. She made it enfleshed for them. And that's a beautiful thing. That's an image and, and, a, and a patronage we could use uh, for these times. Um, if you want to hear more about our topic today, we have a free handout for you uh, from Ralph Martin, uh, the, the laity and the mission of the church uh, regarding the new evangelization. This is available for free uh, on our website, faithandreason.com, or for just asking. This is a, a fabulous, fabulous read. Uh, all of us have, have had a chance and, and really see the value in this. Um, Come and be a part of Franciscan University's mission. This whole program springs forth from our mission, and I want to invite you to be a part of, of who we are here, maybe getting your degree at Franciscan University here on campus or through our distance learning. Join us for one of our summer conferences or the pilgrimages. If you go to our website, faithandreason.com, uh, there's more from Ralph and Scott and Regis. There's some great uh, enriching and, and valuable tools to grow in your faith and to be more of a catalyst for the new evangelization. Thank you for joining us here at Franciscan University Presents, and make sure you tune in next time. And uh, until then, uh, I may the Lord bless you and keep you. God bless you. To download the free handout on today's topic, go to faithandreason.com. Email your request for the handout to presents at franciscan.edu. At faithandreason.com, you can also purchase past episodes of Franciscan University Presents or request today's free handout and purchase past programs by calling 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381. Or call 740-283-6357.